Welcome back to the Future Footy Podcast, everyone, episode 12. Like I said in the last podcast, guys, uh, we ended up recording for a very long period of time, so we're going to actually break it down into two different episodes. And this episode, guys, is all about the big match coming this Friday, Mexico versus USA. Mexico looking for revenge on USA after the losing two finals to the U.S. Um, this past summer. So definitely stay tuned for our previews and predictions. We talk everything from the rivalry history to roster breakdowns, to predicted starting 11s, and even go a little bit rogue and talk about the infamous Grito that has been haunting the Mexican national team recently. So stay tuned, guys. Since there's no club football this week, I think we should move on to the CONCACAF with Mexico versus U.S., you know? Hell yeah, guys. It's revenge time, bro. Yeah, it's, uh, I gotta say, first time in a long time. I'm excited, you know? It feels like the rivalry's back, you know? Mexico definitely playing with vengeance. Um, Obviously, guys, the rosters came out for uh, both teams, respectively, this past week. Um, So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about first here. Um, Obviously, there's some snubs, some interesting call-ups from both sides. So I'll throw it out to you guys. uh, Is there any snubs? Well, let's start with Mexico because I know, obviously, all of us are Mexico fans, and that's the team we want to see win, unless unless you're Chris. I'm just kidding, Chris. No, but uh, wait, no, no, for real, Chris. Who do you support in this rivalry? USA and Mexico. I gotta go with USA. Ringo. Oh, I just said we just need we need at least one USA representative here. No, I'm just giving you crap, Chris. Calm down, <laughs> bro. You and I have talked about this. Freaking, you know that yeah. I love USA, but when it comes to when I I I support them, but when they play Mexico, that's the only situation i won't support them this is i bleed red white and green yeah yeah i said i i don't support them but as long as long as i see uh, how can i put it like if i see them increasing their quality you know it's better for everyone so i'm always happy to see teams improve is how i would put it like you know usa i've said it in the past they have a lot of talent here in the states that's untapped so, yeah, as long as CONCACAF's improving, I feel it's good for everyone else. But for the snubs, I'm looking at the Mexico list. I don't – I mean, Gata, I don't really – I don't really rate him. I don't think he should have been called up, honestly. Gata with Gallardo, I think there's better left backs, you know. And uh, Arteaga, I thought he's obviously a snub. And I think Chava Reyes from America, he's been arguably the best left back in uh, – Liga Mekis, I thought he deserved a call up as well. But, uh, you know, he uh, didn't call up uh, four goalkeepers this time, which was something positive. But uh, still, three very old goalkeepers. Yeah, I said in the past, I think we should at least start calling up. Like, he's not going to use all three, anyways. So he should at least call up one that's younger. Yeah, just like, to get I some experience at camp. Experience, get used to it. Yeah. Oh, did, yeah. I, did I hear yeah, you say so, Carlos Octavelo or however you say his last name? Acevedo. I don't know how he, how they haven't called him up. Dude, for real. Yeah, Acevedo, I think he deserves a call. But... He, to me, he deserves to be, you know, number one right now. Ochoa <laughs> is still up there, but he's he's heading out the door. So Acevedo has to get that international experience, man. Like, you have to take advantage of his age and, and how good he, he is right now. Yeah. I'd argue even yeah, but... a shout for David Ochoa over all Salt Lake. He just pledged his allegiance to to Mexico, and I think you know it's a good time to get him integrated at least with the team. 
Yeah, besides like Tiaga and Chava Reyes, I don't really, I can't really think of anyone else off the top of my head. Maybe Henry Martin. I don't, I don't rate him that much either. I thought we should have called up someone else. Maybe uh, Santiago Jimenez or uh, El Mudo Aguirre, someone else. I don't, I don't rate Henry Martin that much. I think we, uh, I mean, I know we have a couple players injured in Furia Antuna and. Alexis Vega, I'm pretty sure if they were there, Henry Martin would not be there. So, Yeah. Bro, yeah. for me, I agree with you. Chaco Rodriguez, I know he he played pretty impressive in the last window, um, but obviously I think Gerardo Arteaga is, or Arteaga is a better left back. Um, and then Julian Araujo, who I know just also pledges allegiance to Mexico, obviously. Oh, I think yeah, Alexis yeah, I forgot season. about him. Their, their season just ended, but he's a great talent, dude. He's arguably LA's best creative player on the ball and I I would love to see him get integrated into the squad um up top I know so will you and I kind of talked about this before but you know uh Tecatito Corona and Chucky Lozano are the only really out and out wingers there so I think they could have done better with calling up you know someone like Diego Linus who just came back from injury isn't getting you know the call-ups from his team in Robetis in Spain but I think could bode well for his confidence if he get called up by Mexico um and then <laughs> I'm gonna go a bit rogue here, but I think Chicharito. I have no idea if he's in Tata's plans in the future. Hell no, nah. bro! I'm not the squad. I want him no here. You Mexico, dude. The MLS. No offense, but it's just it's not an impressive league at the moment. Like, dude, Chicharito scoring 17 goals at that league. That's all you need to know. Like it's I just funny think... you're saying that the league's not that, that impressive. Uh, MLS is not that impressive right now, and then we literally started off with the <laughs> <Yeah>. MLS bracket. <laughs> bracket. <laughs> like, no, it, it can be. It, I'm saying it has, it has potential. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying right now at the level it is, it's just it's not like like it's starting to phase out. Like I don't no longer I no longer consider it the retirement league. It's actually starting to improve its quality a lot. I'll give them credit, but at the moment they're still not exactly you know a league that um, I would look at, like, as, you know, like Chicharito scoring 17 goals there, something like that. I wouldn't look at it that impressive. Don't get me wrong, Liga Mekis neither, but, you know, there's always that bias that, like, you know, it's like, oh, it's a Mexican player in the Mexican League, top goal scorer. It's like you're obviously going to have a look. But... Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, they're they're getting there for sure. Yeah, you know, I'm not, like, fun. trying to – like, I know I'm poking fun of them, but they have a lot of potentials. Y'all are trying to, like, make me look bad or something. But <laughs> they have a lot of potential. No, no, no. I'm, just, I'm not trying to make you look bad. I, I just thought it was kind of funny, you know? <laughs> no, I just – have a lot of potential, but it's not there yet. I think I'm just biased, bro. Chicharito's one of my best – one of my favorite players ever. Um, I would love to see him get back in the squad, but looks tough with Raul Jimenez um, on such Dude, good we form. We need a winger, bro. Yeah, I don't see him better than we need wingers. I don't see him better than. Well, Pio Colorado, he's there. Um, or Belin Pineda, he can play winger if needed. I mean, obviously, you alluded to um Alexis Vega yeah. and uh Uriel Antuna being injured. That's why they're not there. They can really be needed here. But no, for this Mexico squad, I want to ask you guys this question. Um, obviously, Johan Vasquez, been a player we've been talking about a lot about in the podcast recently, but. Nestor Araujo, he's kind of been Mexico's most consistent center back apart from Hector Moreno, who's kind of aging out at this point. Um, obviously, Cesar Montes, don't know if you guys saw, but he's... Uh, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't say he was most consistent. I just 
he's most consistently picked, but I wouldn't say he was necessarily. He's most consistently there, bro. That's what I try to. That's what I mean. Like he's always called up. He's oh, I thought you meant he was like one of the best ones. In oh no. Oh, uh, he's yeah. always he's always just starting, bro. But honestly, um, he does start a lot for South of Vigo over in Spain. But obviously, more recently, that's not been the narrative. Um, and then Cesar Montes uh, injured. Uh, so Gerardo Arte or Tata Martino actually called up two center backs. Uh, Gilberto. He, I know he called up. Sepulveda and someone else. I forget. Oh, yeah. He was really impressive at the Olympics, so I'm excited to see if he can, you know, contribute to the squad at all. But no, in terms of defense, guys, I'm just curious, who do you guys start as in the back four for the first game against USA? Well, we had everyone available. I think I've told you before, but it'd be Cesar Montes as a right center back, Johan Vasquez left center back, right back. I'd, uh, I'd go with Jorge Sanchez and then left back. I'd go with uh, Osvaldo Rodriguez just because for me, he's more of a defensive uh, minded left back. Jesus Gallardo's a left mid that plays left back. He just, I mean, he bombs up the wing and adds a lot of it. A lot. Yeah, I just, I at the moment rate uh, Osvaldo Rodriguez more than him. But, so I'd keep that back line. But since Montes is injured, I'd have to go with. Uh, uh, either Gata, I'd go with uh, I'd go with Nestor at our whole bit. Gata could push for that one too, even though I don't rate him much. I'd say Moreno, but I just don't see two left-footed center backs working out well. So that would be my back four of Nestor at uh Jorge Sanchez, Johan Vasquez, and um, what's his name? Osvaldo Rodriguez as left back. So for the game against USA, you start Vasquez and. Who'd you say as the other center back? Nestor. Nestor. Oh, that head ass. Nestor Araujo. All right. What about you, Aldo? Who are you starting if you're Tata Martino? Hector Moreno's going to be in there for sure. Um, Sadly. Sadly, yeah. Uh, I really hope that he's been noticing uh, Johan Vasquez and gives him the start. Um, You know, he, he deserves some minutes in the national side. He has to get that experience. You know, he's still very young. He's doing very well for his club. Um, so he has to get that international experience. Um, I think uh, he didn't call up Arteaga, right? Sadly. For the yeah. left back. Stupidly. Still politics going on. Oh, man. Well, I hope that changes soon. Um, who do we have as left backs right now? Jesus Gallardo. Rodriguez. And Gallardo, yeah. That's pretty much it. And for right backs, Gata Dominguez. Yeah, I think he he might he might want to try to do Rodriguez on the right with Gallardo on the left. Um, I think I've seen him done that a while back ago. Uh, he's definitely gonna start Ochoa. I would start Ochoa right, you know, since he doesn't have Acevedo. You know what I oh, actually want to try? Something uh, completely rogue that y'all might not agree with, but uh. If we had more wingers available, I'd love to see uh, Tecatito at right back. Oh, yeah. I, I'd love to see him. Like, especially since our right back position's been a bit shaky, I'd like to see Corona, and then maybe he can plug in Antuna or uh, Alexis Vega if they were healthy and as right wing. I would, I'd love to see him give a few runouts because he, he's done it at Porto, and he actually played decent. So Yeah. Yeah, if I want to go rogue, I'd do that. No, you're absolutely right, dude. I think it was last season that uh, Jesus Corona won the Portuguese Player of the Year, or the Player of the Year for the Portugal League. 
and being playing mostly right back for Porto, so that was really exciting. And he offers a lot, you know, bombing forward and creative and on the attacking end. But I, it, I, I don't know if Tata will ever call upon him to play right back for Mexico. But for me, guys, I kind of want to try something else rogue here. If I'm Tata playing USA uh, this Friday, I'd definitely start Johan Vasquez given the form he's on. But what I really want to try is Edson Alvarez, I think, is our second best defensive player. I know he primarily plays in CDM, but he's just a destroyer. And if you're playing USA, you know, that has Christian Pulisic and all Timothy Weah and Paul Abriola and all these other good attacking players bombing at you, I, I think I have to rely on Edson Alvarez. So I'd be interesting to see if I can potentially play him as a center back and then to fill him in the CDM position, I would play Luis Romo or maybe even um, Guardado, who's getting kind of old and kind of can't move around the pitch as much as he used to. And then we can play other two center midfielders from there. But um, left back spot, I would have to give it to, I guess, Gallardo at this point. Um, and then right back, Jorge Sanchez. I think he's proven he's really useful going on, on the right wing. But um, that's just what I want to do if I was Tata. But what I think Tata will do is start Hector Moreno next to Johan Vasquez, which I'm not totally against because he does have a lot of experience and a lot of leadership qualities about him. You know, he's definitely like the Rafa Marquez role right now but you know hopefully that those legs can hold up <laughs> against those young players wait christian since you're a cruz Azul fan can luis romo play center back or yeah he can he can play center back cdm central midfielder um even as a left midfielder but i definitely think his best position is cdm and obviously it's a bit conflicting there with edson alvarez in the same squad but if Alvarez does play a center back, which I kind of want to see, I know he played a lot of center back at America, um, hasn't really played much at Ajax, but I can definitely see Luis Romo being a more than sufficient uh, replacement in the CDM position. Yeah, I was just asking because I see Luis Romo listed as a defender instead of a midfielder. But wasn't he? Um... Yeah, I'd like, I like. I wouldn't mind that either. Edson as center back or Luis Romo, but I, in all likelihood, I feel like he's going to go with. Uh, Nesta Araujo as center back, Hector Moreno as well, Gallardo as left back, and then Cata Dominguez or Chaka Rodriguez as right back. I don't see him starting Johan Vasquez, sadly. I think he's going to consider him too young and unexperienced for a game of this intensity, is what I'm guessing. Yeah. What about central midfield, guys? Because I know that Mexico kind of lacks a creative outlet, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, Obviously, Guardado and Hector Herrera are, you know, the two starters there. But even he's been benching Guardado more recently, so I'm interested to see if who you guys would start and then who you think Tata would actually start. Um, I'd like to see uh, either Edson or Romo as CDM. I think it's going to be Edson. And then Orbelín Pineda and Roberto Arvada. I'm conflicted on them because aren't they wingers and listed as midfield? Or am I wrong on that, Christian, since they both play for Cruz Azul? No, uh, Alvarado, he's definitely a, a winger. Obviously, he can play like on the on the right or on the left of a midfield like four or in a 4-2-3-1 or 4-4-2. Yeah, or a diamond. But No, but I think um, in Fiojo, he's definitely best served on the wing. And then Pineda, he can play winger, but I definitely think his best position is as either a free eight or, you know, full-on attacking midfielder, that classic camp position. You can definitely play in a midfield three, and especially if you have Guardado, Hector Herrera, or Edson Alvarez next to him, he can definitely be the creative outlet. 
Yeah, so I'd go with Edson Alvarez, and then we do need creativeness. So I definitely go with Spinella in the midfield, and then for the other midfield, I think we have to go with someone box to box, which would either be Guardado or Herrera. But I don't think they're both on the older side, and I like as you said, Guardado doesn't really have the legs no more, so you'd probably have to be subbed out or subbed in in the second half. So. Yeah, I think I'd go with Edson, Pineda, and I think I'd go with Herrera. Yeah, I think that's what I'd go with. All right, guys, what about the front three? Does the front three just pick itself? Is it Corona on the right, Chuki on the left, and Jimenez down the middle? Yeah, for me, that's the best combo, uh, you know, for the top three. Okay, Chris, it's your time to shine, bro. USA's roster. <laughs> Yo, I don't know any of them. <laughs> Legit, just uh, Pulisic and uh, Zach Steffen. Damn, bro. Zach Steffen's not even USA's number one right now. Bruh. Who's Matt, their number one? Matt Turner, New England Matt Revolution's Turner. goalkeeper. Oh, yeah. That young not kid. Crash ass guy. Not He's not that young. He's like 26. I'm just kidding. Oh, I thought he was young. He's not that young. Wait, before we get to USA, I want to ask you guys. He's 27. Uh, uh, how old is Stefan? 26. <laughs> what do you want to ask No, I, I looked at it the other day because Chris mind, was asking. <laughs> I was going to say, do you guys think, like, who do you think is a better striker? Jimenez or Chicharito? Jimenez. Jimenez. Chicharito. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think Chicharito dude, this guy, dude, this guy is Let me defend blind. myself. This guy, Aldo with Ole is like Christian with Chicharito, bro. Bro. <laughs> it's disgraceful. Let me defend myself. The question was, who's the better striker? And I think if you're looking for someone to just put the ball in the back of the net, hang out around the penalty box inside the six, and make good movement off the balls, and you know attract defenders to him with his movement, I think Chicharito's your man. But if you're looking for more of a center forward, I think Raul Jimenez is your man because he he has really really good hold of play, which is what he's excelled at at Wolves. You know, holding up the ball for his wingers to move around him and make that final pass. So striker, definitely Chicharito, but. I think right now Jimenez is the better player over, and he probably is the better footballer overall. But if I had to pick each one of them, and they were both in their prime, I'd probably go with Chicharito. Mm. I, I I disagree. I think everything yeah. you described about Chicharito, the being in the box, attracting players, I think that's what um, Jimenez does, as along with the other stuff as well as you know holding up play. You know, for uh, Wolves this season, he's become kind of a more of a creator, you know, he drops a bit deeper, he holds up the ball real well, you know, him and Juan Hee-chan have created a, a good a partnership, you know, he think he's assisted almost all of his goals. But yeah, he's yeah, definitely... I think he meant is, uh, I, the only part where you get me is Chicharito in his prime, because Chicharito in his prime was pretty, was pretty damn good, you know. Like, yeah. So that that's difficult, because I don't think, I think Jimenez is in his prime, so 
I think in a few years, if you ask the question again, my, my answer might change to Jimenez, but I'd have to sadly agree with Christian in his prime. I'd take Chicharito over Jimenez at the moment. Yeah, I think Jimenez has become more of a Roberto Firmino type player, you know, like a false nine almost. But um, yeah, dude, I mean, Chicharito in his prime was playing for Manchester United and a really good Manchester United. You know, he played a... Champions League final against arguably the best Barcelona team ever. Um, started that final and played the whole game. Whereas Jimenez, I think his prime was. We were seeing it last year and the year before. And it's kind of sad that it was um stagnated because of that injury. But in his prime, he's at Wolverhampton Wonders. Obviously, a good striker. I, I mean, I'd even argue two years ago he was one of the best strikers in the world, top five strikers in my opinion. But I think Chicharito in his day was just a different class. It's interesting to hear both of you guys, uh, both of you guys' words for each player. I think I'm gonna go with Raul Jimenez being the better player. The better or you got Premier League ball. bias? No, I'm just kidding. Well, um, let's look at the years uh, Chicharito has been in the Premier League, and look at the years Jimenez has been in the Premier League. Uh, I don't think Chicharito has had the same amount of goals as Jimenez. But I think the problem with Chicharito is he was. Uh... He was yeah. never a serious baller. Like he, I think he just. How can I say? I think he just like went what was, I don't know how to describe it. Not money chasing, but kind of like I don't know how to describe it. But he just, I think he never pushed himself to be as good as he could be. I guess I think he was just satisfied playing in Europe. I think that was it. Like he played for United, then I think he went to Leverkusen. Or Real Madrid. Maybe, then Real Madrid. Well, how can you know, forget his spell just, at Real Madrid? No, I just I was thinking about which one came first. It was Leverkusen or going to Real Madrid first. I don't remember, but yeah. And then he also played for West Ham, but yeah, yeah. I think Chicharito just that just never pushed himself. That's the problem I had with him. I think he was just like like he came back to the U.S. and I think it's no. uh, I think it's never been hidden that it was purely because of money. I think they're paying him somewhere between six to eight million a year, and you know. I think it was purely for money reasons. Like, I think he could have stayed in Europe, even been yeah. a starter on some teams, but he just chased money. So that's why I'm disappointed in him because I agree with you. I think Chicha Jimenez is the most more complete forward, but just Chicharito, I felt like he could have been so much more than he was. He just didn't push himself. Dude, that's a really interesting point because there's a lot of things I want to touch on what you just said, but number one, I kind of disagree with you that I think he's one of the few Mexicans that really, really tried to excel in Europe. And, you know, we can sit here and say that he was never a solidified starter. He was always a off-the-bench option. He was the perfect uh, substitute that would make an impact. But when he was there, dude, like, he was he, he was known for just his penalty box poaching ability. You know, we saw that man United. And then, for me, it was groundbreaking when he went to Real Madrid because it's been so long since we've seen a Mexican go to a top-level team like team like that in Real Madrid you know at the time they had Ronaldo Bale Benzema um, James Rodriguez they had so many stars and then obviously you can say it came off the back of Hesse's injury and Benzema's injury and they needed a number nine but he excelled there I mean he could have done better for sure but he was never really given a chance but when he was he he excelled in my opinion obviously that uh Where, at Real Madrid I think so yeah he played good, but I under—I also understand why he didn't get chances. I mean, there's compilations out there. You can just 
Google them of him just missing sitters as well. You know, chances that, you know, yeah. Benzema or someone else would have put away. So, like, at the same time, I kind of understand why he didn't get the chances that we thought he deserved. I mean, he scored a – he played good, don't get me wrong, but it's just I understand at the same time why he didn't get more playing time. But how many other Mexicans can you sit here and say that, oh, yeah, they played for the likes of Real Madrid, Manchester United. They scored against, you know, Barcelona in the Champions League when he was at Bayer Leverkusen. Um, arguably, I'd argue he was the he was the best player, or he was at his prime when he was at Bayer Leverkusen because he was actually given a chance to shine, given a chance to start every single game. Um, he was Bundesliga's player of the, of or in the Bundesliga team of the year for one season, I remember. It's just groundbreaking for me for a Mexican to go to Europe and make that impact that he had. Um, wasn't it Jimenez played for Atletico Madrid? Do you forget? Dude, everyone forgot. <laughs> I wouldn't consider that. Yeah, it wasn't a good spell. <laughs> he, he scored, yeah. what, one goal in, in three three appearances? One start? I don't I mean, know, but then, yeah, he went to Benefica where he started playing better. But the thing with Chicharito, dude, is that's why I'm so pissed, dude. He was so good at Leverkusen, and then I think off. he just got satisfied. He, yeah, he just, like, next season, he just fell off the face of the earth. I'm like, dude, this guy was scoring left, right, and center last year. And you, you know what I think? Off. That's why. Because he was satisfied. I honestly believe it's because he was satisfied. Like, I think he was done in Europe, and he just well, he was, like, done. He's just like, I don't want to. He went to West Ham because, you know, I don't know. I forgot why, but, like, he wanted to go to, I think, the MLS in that time. But I think West Ham convinced him. And then, yeah, but it's just, just, it was just frustrating because he could have been so much more than he was, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. So another thing I wanted to touch on there is exactly what you just said. So he could have been a lot more. Um, we see that narrative a lot, sadly, with Mexican players. You know, Carlos Vela, another classic example. Um, when he was a young player, there was a lot of good players and coaches around him. Antoine Griezmann probably being the best example. They would tout him to be one of the best in the world because he saw him on par to the levels of Terry Henry, Lionel Messi, but he just never applied himself, I guess, to be that best player that he could be. Um, Chicharito, I'd argue it was more... That was more the case for him after he left uh, Bayer Leverkusen, or even in his third and final season there at Bayer Leverkusen, he really fell off. But for me, what really solidified it for him was uh, the move to West Ham, where he eventually did meet his wife. Um, he settled down, and then he met another really good friend of his that still is a good friend to this day. I forget the guy's name, but he's just a, a lot of people credit that man for being a bad influence on Javier Hernandez. I don't, I'm not sure if you guys know who I'm referring to, but... He has a podcast. He's very pompous. He's very arrogant. You know, he's very all about money. Um, that's what he preaches on his podcast, and he kind of sh- uh showed Chicharito, quote unquote, the dark side of. Wait, what's his name? Dude, I forget his name. What's Damn. his name? No, but yeah, I was just gonna say that that a lot of Mexicans don't apply themselves when they're at the top level, and that's kind of a narrative, and it's sad. I honestly believe that. I think Vela could have been the best Mexican player to ever play if he actually cared a little about football because I mean there's countless stories of him just saying that uh he just plays football because he and he makes a good living off it but that his love has always been um what's it called uh basketball I mean that was one of the reasons he moved to LA so he can watch well I don't know if it was to watch the Lakers but just so he could be closer to basketball and stuff but I mean, there's countless stories of Arsenal players, uh, even Russell say that ex-player just saying like he could have been so much more if he cared. But I think that's also common in footballers a lot today because I've read a lot of stories of footballers who just say they play football because they 
they're good at it, but that they don't really, not that they don't like it, but that like they just play it to play it. Like, how can I say? They're not pass. They're not passionate about it. Like Junior Firpo, like he's another one. He says he's never watches football. That he plays, and then after that, he just he doesn't focus on it. Like it's just like it's it's not a side job, but like I don't know how to describe it. But it's just like. I don't know what to say he's not. I guess not applied to it completely. Like he's just like, yeah, I got lucky. I'm good at it. He's like, I understand how blessed I am. He's like to play this, but uh, he's just like, and I play it because I'm good. But he's like, I don't pay attention to football outside of this. I think a and lot there's of a couple that... other players. Yeah, there's a couple other players. I can't think of that. I just remember Furpo was the most recent one. I remember. I was say, uh, I think a lot of that comes from. Where do these players grow up? I mean, a lot of them grew up in South America and they grew up in poverty. And maybe their goal is not to be the best player in the world. I think for most of these players that don't quote unquote uh, apply themselves, I think they're in it not just for the money, you know, they do like playing the sport. But I think they do it because of the financial security. I mean, the players nowadays get paid so much money that their family could be set for generations and generations that their kids and their grandchildren won't have to worry financially because their great-granddad was a professional football player. And I think a, a lot of South Americans, especially, and Central Americans, are big into family. And yeah. uh, I think, I don't know who it was. It was a Brazilian player, might have been Willian, that was talking about how a lot of Brazilians come to Europe to make good money so they can provide for their family back home. Yeah, I think Brazilians uh, are also like. I think that was Oscar that you were thinking of when he, you know, went. To yeah, the Oscar. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, he went because they offered him a lot of money. Like it wasn't hidden that he wanted that he only went because they offered him a lot of money. But I think a lot of Central Americans and South Americans are really passionate, though. Like. Like, you always hear about, like, Neymar and, like, just Brazilians in general. They're just, like, football down there is, like, a religion. We love it. Like, you, they're, like, they're, like, you walk down the streets, they're, like, you'll most likely see someone kicking a football about and stuff like that. But, yeah, I think financial security is, like, a purple. Like, again, he said, like, he's just, like, it's not that I don't like it. He's, like, I understand how blessed I am, but he's just, like, it was never my love. He's just, like, but I understand I'm lucky to be in the position I am, so. Yeah, I think the best example of that is Mateus Pereira recently. Um, he was a good young player for West Brom, and then he got a bid from a Qatar club to just pay him loads amount of money. And I think this was the first time that I can remember where a player moved to a you know a unpopular league for money, and it was kind of respected by the football community amongst themselves because he came out and said that I will be financially exactly what Chris just said. I'm financially secure now for the rest of my life. I don't have to worry about money ever again. And I grew up poor in poverty, and this is exactly what I wanted, and this is just the bigger step for me and my family in the future. And that's the first time I've really seen a footballer come out and say this, and it's been actually respected by the football community. So I definitely agree with that narrative. And also, I found this one asshole's name. His name is Diego Dreyfus, or Dreyfus, however you say it. <laughs> Dreyfus. Dreyfus, yeah. This guy is this guy's something else, bro. He has a podcast. Um called Tabasa Morid, which is pretty much he tries to be like a motivational speaker, but it just it's arrogant, bro. Like he calls himself a cabron and all these things. He's like, I'm an arrogant asshole. Like you should be too. You should be selfish. You should, you should care about yourself, you know, because that's all you have. 
a lot of it's true, but it's kind of up to your own interpretation. But I definitely credit him and his relationship with Chicharito as the downfall for his career. Because, and I don't want to get back on this train again, but just to kind of go back to it a little bit. Do you guys remember the interview before the 2018 World Cup where he was like, imaginamos cosas yeah. chingones, like we can beat Germany. We know we don't have the facilities, but we can if we just believe in all these things. He went from that to just, I don't know, live streaming on Twitch and cursing on playing, what is it, Game of War or Warzone or something. <laughs> I I used to look up to this man so much, and now just he's not the best influence, honestly. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, yeah, it sucks. But anyways, At the guys, same time, I understand, you know, money, just having that financial security, you know. But I think we should talk about the U.S. roster now. Yeah, kind for of sure. sidetracked for a bit. <laughs> no, it's okay. That was a good question, Chris. I kind of alluded to it there, guys, but a big talking point here in the U.S. is who's their number one goalkeeper. Obviously, Zach Steffen. The ar- so here's the argument. Uh, do you get more credence to a player that plays for the best team in the world and by the best plant manager in the world, even though they don't start? Or for a goalkeeper that's playing consistently game in, game out, and playing at the high level here in the MLS and getting a good run out on form games in Matt Turner? Um, I side with the latter. I think Matt Turner should be uh, USA's number one going forward. I think Zach Steffen offers a little bit something different with his feet and his ability on the ball. But, I mean, for me, you just got to start the keeper that's starting game in, game out every week and doing well. Yeah, I agree with you. Really? Chris, I I thought you'd disagree, bro. Well, um, I disagree. I disagree. Let me just say that um, I always try to be as unbiased as possible when I talk on this podcast and uh i 100 agree that the player that is playing every game that has chemistry with the defense who has chemistry with the rest of the group should be playing the those games i don't think just because zach stefan plays for pep guardiola it gives him the like the, edge. the ability to be the first name on the sheet i think he has to show more than that yeah but here's what a lot of people are, are saying the defense zach stefan he's practicing Every day with you know the likes of Raheem Sterling, Riyad Mahrez, Gabriel Jesus, um, Kyle Walker, you know all these great starting players, world class players, Joe Cancelo, Jack Grealish, you know that he he has to take something away from that even if it's just in training. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think I agree with you, man. I think game time and minutes during an actual game is a lot more crucial. Definitely. But, yeah, I was gonna yeah. say since. I mean, I could be swayed either way because, you know, I'm still on the fence a little. I do agree, you know, game time. But as you mentioned, Christian, my arguing point was going to be, you know, at City, uh, practicing against these world-class players, you know. And I obviously know um, practice and uh, game time are two completely different things. But, you know, just going against the likes of all these players, you know, it's just I believe, in my opinion, is better than going against some of the these MLS players that go against, especially like the bottom half players, you know, it's just some of them are questionable. You're just like, how is this guy even playing football? But that was my argument. I could be, I mean, at the same time, I do agree. I do think game time is better, but dude, just practicing against those players. And I think that's been a problem in some clubs, some uh, national teams in the past. It's just like, you know, like it's just like oh he plays for a big team he's our starter you know yeah uh, I know I knew it was in the U S in the past it was just like yo he's not like he may be a bench warmer in like City or like Dortmund or some other team but it's just like hey 
he's he's a starter for us. And, you know, it's just I think it's been a problem in the past. But in my opinion, from what I've seen from Sack Stefan, I think he's a better goalkeeper and he should start. Another point that people make when this goalkeeper debate comes up is South American teams in Conombo have notor are notorious for starting backup goalkeepers for big clubs. You know, obviously not anymore and recently, but in the latter years, you know, I want to say 2010 to 2016, you know, we saw David Ospina, who was a bench warmer for Arsenal most of the time, starting for Colombia. We saw uh, Sergio Romero, who was a bench warmer for Manchester United, the majority of the time starting for Argentina every game. But yeah, I think uh, Sergio Romero and uh, David Ospina are the two best examples there. And obviously they did really well when they got the call up for their national team. So that's just another argument that people throw out to defend Zach Steffen. But I agree with him. Matt Turner is my guy. So another big talking point for this roster, guys, is the defenders. Um, when I first saw this, I'm not going to lie, I was a bit upset because I didn't see Sergio Dest. But then I come to find he's out. He's injured, though. Exactly. <laughs> I come to find out he's injured. Yeah, my bad, my bad, my bad. I should have let you finish. My bad. <laughs> no, you're good. But yeah, I come to find out he's injured, and that's why he's not on here, which is completely understandable. So that gave way for the much-anticipated uh debut for Joe Scally, you know, the young defender from Borussia Mönchengladbach and Sam Vines, Colorado's own guys. He actually left the Rapids early on in the season to go play for um, a club in Belgium. I forget the name. But, Antwerp. Yep. Same team that uh, Rajon Nainggolan now pays for, plays for. So a lot of people are kind of surprised with that inclusion because he was part of the Gold Cup roster in the summer that won the trophy. And then he had an injury over in Belgium. He broke his collarbone, came back, and started every single game since. But a lot of people didn't know if that would be enough to warrant a call-up or a start. So it's interesting to see him there. But, hey, man, he's from Colorado. I love that guy. I saw him develop at the Rapids, and he's a really good left back. So I'm excited to see him. Midfielders, um, Gianluca Busio, who we touched on in the very first podcast, actually, with his move to Venezia, uh, sporting Kansas City, born and raised but obviously is applying his trade now over in Italy and looking really impressive. He's actually getting on the end of assists over there, so that's really cool to see. And obviously, you know, you got Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney, arguably USA's two best midfielders. Uh, quick shout-out to Kellen Acosta, though, who's, again, is Colorado's own. Um, really impressive player and really influential player for the Rapids when he does play. So I'd be excited to see if he can get in the midfield here for the U.S. And then forwards, guys. Um, the big story here is Christian Pulisic coming back from injury from actually two international breaks ago. Uh, the last two windows where he did get injured in the first place, he's barely recovered and barely coming back for Chelsea, and now he's, again, starting for the USA potentially. But uh, Ricardo Pepe, uh, a man that I have a love-hate relationship with because he could have been a great starter for Mexico. Obviously, he's a young talent. He's tied with a big move to Europe here soon. And, you know, as Jimenez ages out, Funes Mori's up there as well. Chicharito's not even in the international picture at all. Um, I would have loved to see Pepe step into those shoes, but he looked at the USA, and he's done really well there, so good for him. But those are the two biggest narratives there for the USA in the forward department. What about uh, John Brooks? I'm surprised. He's usually a regular. Oh, shoot. He did not get called up. You are right. Yeah, I saw that. So I don't know if he's been bad form or whatnot, but yeah, he I'm hasn't surprised been... not to see him. He hasn't been starting that much, if I'm being honest. I don't know if he's injured as well, but I think it's just form. I mean, I think he's USA's best center back, honestly. Mark McKenzie, he actually plays alongside Gerardo Ortega in Genk in Belgium, but he's obviously, he's okay. He's not that great. Um, Anthony Robinson, he's probably USA's 
best center back for the future. He got that winning goal against Mexico in the U.S. Mexico final in the Gold Cup. Um, Walker Zimmerman, he's another reliable name for the USA. Plays for Nashville, but um, yeah, I'm surprised Brooks isn't in there. Weston McKinney, I'm surprised he's not called up, especially after the dilemma he had last time. I thought he would yeah. get like a suspension or something, or like not get called up, like kind of as a punishment. Yeah. And then Pulisic, I'm gonna call it now. He gets injured after this international break, and he's out for a bit again. I'm calling it now. <laughs> yeah, another player that's not there because of injury is Gio Reyna, plays for Dortmund. He uh got injured a couple windows ago in the international break, and he's been out ever since. So. Um, that's pretty damning to see because he's one of USA's best young talents. Uh, also in the midfield, I didn't talk about Yunus Musa, but he's, you know, exciting a lot of fans over here. He plays for Valencia. He can play either in cent- central midfield or on the left or right side of midfield in a in a four four two or four two three one. But that's another young talent. And the overall story for me here, guys, is when I look at these two rosters and I compare the two, is just how much younger USA is actually is and how much more. Yeah talent they have yeah because you look at this roster guys and you know obviously we mentioned zach stefan plays for man city um mckinney plays for juventus adam plays for rb salzburg in the bundesliga chris richards plays for uh, hoffenheim but he's actually on loan from bayern munich um so many players from so many good teams christian pulisic at chelsea it's just absurd yeah i agree i think maybe this team like i say three four years you know they're gonna be at their peak and you know, maybe not right now. They're not too good. But in three, four years, it, I think it's definitely a team to watch out for. You know, as much as I hate to say, it, you know, they got a lot of talent, and there's still like even more talent coming through. I mean, Sebastian, like, I don't think he deserved the call up. I mean, I see U.S. fans complain about him a lot. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, there's a lot of jokes and memes being thrown around that uh, Leget and Christian Roldan are. Greg Berhalter's two favorites, and he's always going to call them up no matter what. It's kind of um. They compared it to another coach and another player. I forget which one though. Mason Mount and yeah, Lampard. yeah, exactly. Or Southgate. Yeah, but yeah, dude, three four years. I think this is definitely a young team that to be excited for two two four years. I'd say you know, and if Mexico doesn't get their shit together, I can see a. USA running the CONCACAF for a couple of years. Maybe also with uh, Canada, because Canada has some exciting players finally coming through. And oh, yeah. Most notably, Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, and uh, what's his name again? Tejan uh, Buchanan. Tejan, yeah. Yeah, Kyle Lahren up there as well. One. Yeah, three, three most notable. Well, four if you add Kyle Lahren. That's yeah, a... definitely something to watch out for. That's another thing I wanted to quickly touch on because obviously Mexico is playing Canada in this window as well. They're playing two away games, guys. They're going to USA. They're going to Canada to play to play them too. But something I wanted to touch on, guys. I know we've been talking for a really long time now, but I gotta get you guys' opinion on this. Is El Grito that haunts Mexico to this day, guys? We all know what it is. Um, how do you guys feel about it, and how do you guys feel about? when the fans in the stadium actually shout it, because obviously we're seeing repercussions now. You know, Mexico's not going to have uh, fans in their stadium at home for the their next two games at home. But I was just really curious to see what you guys thought about that. I just want some clearance on what, like, I know they say, like, I know the word, but what's the word mean? Is it actually homophobic or is it just... 
it all depends on context in my opinion yeah that's what i really wanted to talk about because honestly if you ask me man i i genuinely don't think mexico fans ever meant to be homophobic i think it was just it's just slang you know it's just calling someone like a jerk or an asshole or something bitch motherfucker asshole like it can like, mean, yeah. like depending on the context, it could mean a lot of. Very rarely do people actually use it in the homophobic uh, context. Like very rarely do I actually yeah. see people use it in that context. And I, I genuinely, yeah. genuinely think that it was never meant to be homophobic. Yeah, I don't yeah. Think so. I mean, and I agree there, man. Even for, like, for me, when I when I first heard this chant, you know, you know, watching TV, you going to a game, my translation of it or my understanding it was like hey asshole yeah you know so that's so to me when i first learned about it and everything like it's always been like hey asshole you know where the case may be it never intended to be homophobic but i don't know if our you know culture is coming in the way a little bit of that um with all these different things going on which is is fine but at the same time it's it's kind of similar to with Cavani's situation when he said negrito you know yeah. for for him in his hometown you know where he grew up that was always you know the slang word for for friend you know for us like for us here right now we've always had that word kind of like a you know as an asshole um you know whatever the case may be a bunch of different other words um but we never really use it in in that homophobic way yeah, although yeah, I couldn't have said it any better myself, man. Yeah, but I think this became a problem in the 2014 World Cup because obviously that's when it was at its peak. And Dude, I remember when I was in high school and we had soccer games at Eagle Valley High School. We would do that in the crowd, and it was fun. You know, it was just like a cool thing to do. It was fun. It was hip. But obviously, I think the 2014 World Cup, you know, with all these movements coming up and all these advocacies for these minority groups, you know, it became a more... The narrative became different, and that narrative was never written by Mexico or Mexico fans themselves. It was written by other people for them. So, you know, you fast forward all this time and all these years, I genuinely believe that now it's just ignorance by the fans because I get it. I get it. It was never meant to be homophobic, but if you're being told not to say it and there are going to be consequences if you continue to say it and shout in the stadiums, like, just stop saying it. That's, that's, That's where I lie on this fence right now. Just stop it, but... The fact that Mexico fans are so consistent with it and so ignorant, it's just it, it pisses me off genuinely because I was at that final and here in the Broncos stadium, Mexico versus USA, where they had it and they had to pause the game for a little bit. And obviously it's never gone to the third stage where they suspend the match, but we're getting pretty freaking close, dude. And honestly, I'm going to be so upset with Mexico fans if we're the reason why Mexico loses out in the World Cup. I doubt it. I doubt we miss out. I think it's just going to be increasing in fines i i seriously do there's a lot of money for them to lose especially concacaf in mexico doesn't go to the world cup and as we all know it's money that talks in the fifa world but um how did it even start like like did anyone complain or did fifa just come in because i mean i understand the direct translation is homophobic it means male prostitute but like how did it start Did like someone complain or like did FIFA just step in and we're like, hey, stop it, and here's a fine? Like, I, because I, I don't remember. I just remember, like, Mexico got fined for it, and then I was just like, where did this come from? Because it had been going on for, I think, a couple years before, like, FIFA finally stepped in. I think they sent some warnings first, and then FIFA finally, like, stepped in and started fining them. But, yeah, I mean, it is disappointing, you know? 
I'd hope the fans wouldn't, but I think at this point it's like stubbornness because I think it's Mexico fans kind of like sticking it to FIFA because, I mean, it's very hypocritical by FIFA, you know, because, uh, I mean, look at Qatar, you know, they have slaves building the stadium and they don't say shit about that. But here comes Mexico with a chant that, as far as I'm concerned, I haven't heard any player or anyone come out, come forward and say they felt uncomfortable with it. Yeah. Um, so I just think it's very hypocritical by FIFA, and I, I honestly, I hope it stops. But I honestly, you know, I don't think it's gonna stop. I don't. I think it's like a pride thing at this point, and Mexico is just gonna keep sticking it. Like the Mexican fans are just gonna keep sticking it because you know, I mean, the players, like all the players, are practically they went on a campaign to like beg the stadium, to beg the players to stop, and they just don't. So, and I just think it's hypocritical at this point by FIFA. I think they're. I think if they never started it, they wouldn't care. But at this point, I think they're in too deep and they're just trying to make a point. But I don't think it's stopping it anytime soon. I mean, I mean, I don't understand why they just can't shout another word. Maybe like, like if what they really want to say a word, why can't they say like culero or something like that? You know, I mean, I, 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 uh, so I've been trying football. <laughs> so like, you know, that. it goes like, eh, football. So it, it kind of still is on. That's actually what I shouted in that uh, Denver game against US and Mexico when that whole happened. That's what I've been trying to do. Because uh, I saw, you know, one of my other friends do it and like it makes sense, but I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. No, I think FIFA is eventually going to give up, honestly. I think they're just going to see it's not going to stop. You know, they've find the fans. They, they've, I mean, they've, Exile the fans from the stadium for like two matches and stuff like that. And I don't think it's gonna stop, honestly. Like, if it was gonna stop to me, it would have stopped once uh they were suspended from going from allowing fans in the stadium. Like, if it didn't stop then, I don't think it's stopping now. So, you know? Yeah. No, my biggest problem with it is exactly what you just said. So, well, it's just stubbornness by the fans, dude. Like, it generally gets under my skin the fact that they're like, oh, I, and I get it too because it's kind of like when you're younger and your parents tell you not to do something, it just makes you want to do it even more. But it has a limit. And like, I think we've well reached that limit. And it's just, I've said this on the podcast before, but that what my mom told me, I think it's, it just reigns true now that a Mexican's worst enemy is genuinely like its own people or another Mexican. Like it's, it's not cool. You're not cool if you're doing it. And it's just, it's just ignorant and stubborn, but I think there's another um, scenario why fans do it in the stadium, especially now. But before I go on to that, Chris, I'm really interested to see you're kind of a neutral on this. You know, you kind of really didn't understand it at first, but what's your overall perspective on this? Yeah, I feel like you guys, um, I don't see it as a homophobic slur. Maybe that's, uh, Saul, you said exactly what it meant. And maybe it is a homophobic thing to say and something we need to move past. But I never saw it that way when people were chanting it. Like Aldo said, it was more like an asshole kind of thing to like poke fun at the opposition goalkeeper. Never, never really saw it as something um, to cause harm or anything. And uh, I really like the point that Saul said that the next World Cup is going to be in Qatar, somewhere where people are maybe be the most homophobic place on earth and uh, gay marriage isn't even legal. And it really is hypocritical for FIFA to be saying something about a homophobic slur when they're, when the next World Cup is in Qatar. 
<laughs> I, I also think it's uh, stubbornness from FIFA at this point, too. Like I said, I think they're too far in, and if they back off right now, they're just going to be proven wrong. They're just going to be like, see, it wasn't nothing a big, like, uh, not a big deal anyway. So I think it's stubbornness from FIFA at this point as well. But... Yeah. Yeah, like so... when it first started, I saw it like as a, how can I say it without sounding bad? Like, it was a like trend. The, like as a mix. As the, like when I first heard it, the first thing I thought is like, "Oh, fucking Mexicans again!" Like, not in a bad way, but I was like, "Dude, that's my, like, it, it's like it's my people." Like, like I don't know how to describe it, but I was just like, "Man," like I just laughed it off because I was like, "Oh, damn, they're really doing this, man!" Like, like no, who else but us? Yeah, I understand. But I don't know how to say. It. I know it sounds bad, but I kind of saw it like as an, uh, like, like fun, cheerful spirit is how they were doing it. Like. It's like when you're hanging with like you're the boys and something, and you're just like, oh, you like cussing with them and saying stuff. That's how I saw it. Yeah. I never saw it as them being homophobic. Like I don't know if you saw it, but like, I think a couple, either a couple weeks or like a month ago, like there was like a video in like a league in Europe where like the European fans have started saying it too, and I was like, oh damn, it's spread. But yeah, you know they. Like, FIFA's hypocritical, because I know, like, Hungary, like, they're very homophobic, too. Like, I remember they weren't allowed to, in the Euros, like, they weren't allowed to use, like, LGBT stuff there, because they said it was gonna, like, it, I don't know what they said it was, but it was, like, practically, like, they didn't allow it, because in Hungary, it wasn't allowed, and they didn't want to go against them and stuff, but that's just hypocritical. I mean, there was even fans, I remember, or do, I don't know if it was in Hungary, but I remember there was one game where they are doing the Nazi salute, and you know, FIFA didn't even do anything to them. Like, it was UEFA that ended up sanctioning them, not FIFA. So it's just very hypocritical by FIFA, in my opinion. So, actually, two things I want to say before I move on from this subject. Um, for me, it's just kind of, I agree with you, Solo, there. It's just like, oh, that's my people. You know, that's how they are. It's no harm intended, but no, it's just, it's kind of like the equivalent of the Mexican wave. You know, they try, they're trying to have fun. Um, but the way Mexican fans have responded to, you know, FIFA being FIFA pretty much banning it and saying there will be consequences if it continues, the way they responded, and then the way I don't know, the USA responded to the whole Black Lives Matter here movement in the United States with the players coming out and you know solidifying and unifying with the people here. That's just that that speaks volumes to me. Also, not from the players' perspective, but also from the fans' perspective. It's kind of shameful to me, honestly. You know, we look at the two sets of fans and we give credit a lot to the United States fans, you know, the American outlaws for being very inclusive, but you look, you go over to the other side of the border and, you know, I know Mexicans don't mean harm, but you know, worldwide, what kind of attention does that garner? That's just another thing I wanted to throw out there. I don't know how you guys feel about that or if you agree necessarily. The American outlaws, I've heard stuff about them, but I don't want to get political on the podcast. So I'll just, let people do their own research about them but all i'll say is they they aren't who they seem to be yeah i mean i've never seen that like i've said it before i've never seen anyone complaining about it like the most comp- most people that that um not even defending people but they're just like by the letter of the law fifa is correct you know like it is homophobic and whatnot that's but i've never seen anyone being like like being like all oh, the Mexicans are homophobic, they're obviously saying it because they're calling the other guy a male prostitute. But they're just like the direct translation. It's mostly like people being like, "Oh, well, the direct translation is this." So technically, FIFA is right, but I don't agree with it and stuff like that. So, 
The very last thing I want to say about this subject is how it's kind of adapted. We saw this in the last cycle against Canada. Um, not in the last cycle, in the, in the Gold Cup over the summer. How fans will use it as kind of a turning point in the match. Because uh, I'll bring it back to this Canada game. Basically, it was tied and Mexico was looking sluggish. Honestly, if you ask me, I think Canada was going to get a, a late winner there to win. But the the chant erupted in the stadium. It caused a pause in the game. And that pause really kind of served Mexico to, you know, regain their boundaries and, you know, snap back into play. And then they came back from that pot from that pause and they, they scored a late winner and they won the game. So it was kind of more like a like a timeout in basketball, you know. So I think fans are now utilizing the chant for for their advantage and for the team's advantage. Yeah, strategically, exactly. I that's so I was just curious to see what you guys thought about that. I don't know. I mean, it is an interesting point, but I don't I don't know how, you know, thousands of fans can can sink all in one mind and say, hey, let's yell it right now. This is the perfect time to yell it. <laughs> no, yeah, you know? it wasn't so much that, but it was more just like they were pissed at their own team. So when their own goalkeeper, or when their center backs are passing the ball around, they'll do it, and they mean it towards their players. And obviously they're not trying to call them male prostitutes or anything, but they're trying to, you know, insult them and kind of, you know. Them all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like Solo said, it's a, it's a reset. It's a wake-up. What what you what was the exact word you said, Sol? No, I just said they'd like to wake them up. Yeah, exactly. Get their head out their ass, start playing. Yeah, and whether it's intentional yeah. or not, you know, it worked in that game, and it can potentially work in the future too. And I think now after that result, that they kind of had that self conscious that oh, that worked last time. Let's just do it now. Every time they're playing bad or whatever. I mean, when it first happened, I do remember I saw u.s fans complaining they're like they're like all oh, that timeout really helped mexico and whatnot but i don't think it was just strategic at all i mean unless the mexico team the mexican like federation is doing something behind the scenes like like hey chant it when we're losing or like when the other team looks on top of us or something like i don't know that'd be an interesting point though because it's like fans are allowed and they just start doing that constantly like you know maybe like a team's on the attack and they just start yelling it and the ref has to stop the game because of it. Like, it would be interesting just to see what, what, what FIFA would do because, you know, it's just like, well, they don't care about the fines, but they're interrupting the game. It's just like, it's like, well, what do you do at that point? Because it's just like, oh, every time they're on attack, they're going to chant it and they're going to stop the game and it's going to kill their attack and momentum. It's like, well, what do you do at that point? Because... I think I honestly believe FIFA at some point is going to eventually just back off, and like I think the chant will eventually just either people will come to recognize it as it's not being homophobic, or they're just gonna it's gonna die off. That's how I see it eventually ending. I don't think it was necessarily strategic by the fans or anything like that, but I no, think I'm was... saying if in the future if they do. Oh yeah, like if it does become strategic, you know, like I I'd be interested to see what FIFA would do. No, but for the example that I was giving for the Canada game, I think, you know, when it was paused, I think Tata Martino stepped in and kind of like slapped every player on the head and said, what are you guys doing? You know, you guys need to wake up. That pause in play right there gave a chance for the coach to get up in the players' faces and, you know, steer that in the right direction. So that was just an interesting narrative that I thought I'd bring up, especially for this upcoming game. I mean, it is in the U.S., I don't think. Oh, never mind. U.S. really never has... Big, uh, no offense to them, but they don't really have big home support. Like, I've seen a lot of U.S. players often complain about that. Like, can our home games actually be home games instead of, you know, it being like a lot of more uh, opposing team fans and 
home team plan. So yeah. Yeah, Mexico definitely has a big support here in the U.S. And honestly, they try and hide it. That's why they're playing their games in Ohio. Um, I know it's kind of a sacred house for USA when it comes to Mexico. I'm not sure if it's because of the demographics there, but um, they do have a good history there against Mexico. Um, it's going to be in Cincinnati this time instead of Columbus, but I think USA definitely banks on the chances of more USA supporters showing up in Columbus, or excuse me, in Ohio versus anywhere else in the U.S. I read it was mostly because it's going to be like super cold there and that they're hoping the cold affects the, the Mexico team. Like Canada's doing the same. I think the stadium they're playing or like the area they're playing in, like like it, when it's cold, it gets down to the negatives. So, you know, they were both trying to use that home field advantage as much as they could. And yeah. I read that was like the big reason why they chose it because it's just, it's super cold and they hope it affects the Mexico team and how they play. All right, guys. So final, before we end the podcast, which I'll probably have to end up, doing two different parts, um, but I'll work on that. Um, before we end this segment, I just want to quickly get you guys' uh, predictions and outcomes for the game coming up this Friday. Um, so, Aldo, I'll start with you, bro. Who do you see coming out on top? Uh, I think it's going to be a, a, a tight match uh, between U.S. and Mexico. Um, I think Mexico is going to bottle it. You know, I'm a big LFG fan, but... They just haven't been reforming for me. So I'm going to give this one to, to the U.S. So, Chris, I'm interested to see your perspective because you are the only USA supporter here. Um, obviously, both USA and Mexico will probably more likely advance to the World Cup for, before any other team does. But given the history and the most recent history between these two teams, is this a must-win game for Mexico? Um, I think it is. I think any World Cup qualifying is a must-win for any team. And... Especially this one, because it's such a big rivalry going on with Mexico and USA. And if you're either of those teams, you want to get qualification as soon as possible. So it's a must-win game for for ever, for both teams involved. Who do you see coming out on top? Um, you know, Pulisic is not healthy, I don't think, is he? He's not 100%, but... Yeah. He's... It'll be interesting to see how many how many minutes he plays. Right, I think he's the best player on the pitch when these teams play, um, and when he's fit, which is rare nowadays. But if he's not there, maybe some other American players can step up. But I don't know. This one is very hard to call. There's never really, you never really know with these two teams. Uh, I'm gonna give Mexico this one just because I agree with you guys. All right, so same question to you, man. Um, and obviously you have a more, I want to say, deeper connection when it comes to Mexico and with the given recent history. So I'm going to ask you this again. Is this a must-win for Mexico? Uh, yeah, uh, not because of, of like being a World Cup qualifier, but just because of what it represents. You know, any game against USA, our biggest rivals, I think is a must-win for either side. Um, I know U.S. has come off, beat us the last two times we faced off. So, you know, um, but I see Mexico winning this one. I think they went two one, and I think Greg Berhalter is going to be the one to blame for the U.S. I think he's going to get his tactic wrong, overthink it, and I see Mexico winning this one two one. All right, guys, I'm going to agree with uh, Chris and Saul there. I think this is. 
definitely a must win for Mexico, not just because it's a World Cup qualifier or because the rivalry or anything like that, but purely the fact that they want revenge and they need to prove to Mexico and to themselves, honestly, that they are still the best team in CONCACAF. Um, so I think they're going to be playing with a big chip on their shoulders. And another thing the Mexican fans are pointing to, the two losses uh, this past summer, is the fact that Raul Jimenez was not healthy for either one of those games. And a lot of fans are saying that if he actually was on the pitch for both of those games, he would have made a big difference for Mexico, which I strongly agree with. And I think the fact that he is now back healthy, um, obviously not hitting on the same level that he was before, but I think he's going to make a big impact in this game. And, you know, you put that on top of the fact that they want revenge and the chip on their shoulder and they want to prove uh, and establish their dominance. I think Mexico wins this game. Uh, it's going to be tough. USA is not going to give him an easy time whatsoever, but it's going to be a hard-fought victory, I think. So I'm going to go with Mexico for sure. Yeah, and then also Guardado and Chucky weren't in that for the Gold Cup final. I think they would have made a difference. Although USA fans will argue they didn't have Pulisic or any of their European players in the Gold Cup, but whatever. Anyways, guys, that's going to wrap up this very, very long edition of the Future Footy Podcast. Um, I'll probably wrap this up into due to into two different parts um our mexico versus usa preview which honestly was about half of it and then the rest of the european talk and mls talk for the other half um but yeah definitely be on the lookout for two different episodes in your feed um we're gonna sign off here because it is getting pretty late uh midterms are coming up for most of us here so no i mean that's uh let's enjoy this international break you know tomorrow it's a big day for world cup qualifiers all around Starting 11 a.m., there's like five European matches going on. So it should be a good day tomorrow. So, yeah, guys, this was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for tuning in each and every week. Um, be on the lookout on our socials, guys. Potentially we'll be doing a Twitter space after the game on Friday. Um, so definitely follow us at our Future Footy Pod. Um, and, yeah, stay tuned on our socials for much more coming. And we'll see you next week. See you all next week. See you guys. See you guys. Have a good one.